Hi, ladies. My name is Zenovia Bernier, and we are in week two of our Sermon on the Mount series. Today, we'll be focusing on Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 to 13. This portion of Scripture completes the section called the Beatitudes, which Webster defines as the declaration of blessedness made by our Savior to particular virtues. For those of us who have received Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, we are already blessed. He has given believers the greatest blessing of all—forgiveness and a secure future in heaven for eternity. It's more than we deserve. And the Lord could have decided that His forgiveness and the promise of heaven was enough of a blessing to carry us through this life. But He didn't stop there. Instead, He promises blessing after blessing for His children while we wait for heaven. And we see the word blessed or happy repeated over and over in our text this week. Let's read verses 7 to 13 together. I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible. Jesus says, Blessed, content, sheltered by God's promises are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed, anticipating God's presence, spiritually mature, are the pure in heart, those with integrity, moral courage, and godly character for they will see God. Blessed, spiritually calm with life joy in God's favor are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express His character and be called sons of God. Blessed, comforted by inner peace and God's love are those who are persecuted for doing that which is morally right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven both now and forever. Blessed, morally courageous, and spiritually alive with life joy in God's goodness are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of your association with me. Be glad and exceedingly joyful, for your reward in heaven is great, absolutely inexhaustible. For in this same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste or purpose, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and walked on by people when the walkways are wet and slippery. There are so many blessings promised to believers in these seven verses. And each of the times the blessing is promised, there's a choice to be made on our part. Did you notice that? Remember what we learned in our study last week. Jesus is not telling us how to become a Christian but rather how we should live because we are Christians who have already experienced the grace of God. He knew His time on earth would soon end, and He wanted to leave us with instructions on how to live lives that honor the Lord and bring us blessings as we live in a world that is dark and without Him. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, He is speaking directly to you in your specific circumstance today. In verse 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. The word mercy here means to have compassion or pity on someone. It's more than just a feeling of sympathy for someone, though. To show the mercy spoken of here in Matthew, you must have suffered a wrong, and instead of executing justice, the one who chooses to show mercy has so much compassion to the point that they not only forgive the offense, but they also withhold the punishment. God showed His mercy towards us when He chose to send His only Son to die on a cross for our sins, so that for those who believe, we wouldn't have to suffer the consequences of our sins. Showing mercy comes with the territory when you love someone. Wives, mothers, 
I would guess that you regularly show mercy to your husband and your children. I say choose because showing mercy is a choice. And if you're choosing to show mercy to your family or friends, there's a blessing attached to that. But what about when someone whom you either don't know or don't care for offends you? Now, before I go any further, I want to clarify something. When I say offend, I'm not talking about when someone disagrees with you. In today's culture, so many people want to make it a crime to disagree. Everyone has the right to their own opinions. And if someone's opinions don't align with yours, that's called a difference of opinion, not an offense. When I say offend, I'm talking about committing an actual offense, something that would cause you pain, physical or otherwise, due to someone's actions or inactions. So again, what about when someone whom you either don't know or don't care for offends you? Must we show mercy? The answer is yes. By nature, it would probably be the last thing we would want to do. To show mercy, as Jesus talked about in verse 7, is supernatural. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's a practical example of what mercy looks like. I have a friend named Valerie. She's a wonderful woman of God. Valerie was married to her husband for 34 years. Five and a half years ago, Valerie received the most horrific news a wife could receive. Her husband had died. Lenny was killed in an automobile accident. As if the devastating news of the loss of her husband wasn't enough, Valerie learned that the driver of the car who killed her husband was driving under the influence. Because a woman, for reasons Valerie will never know, chose to drink and then get behind the wheel of a car, disregarding the lives of every other person on the road, Valerie was now without her husband, her children were without their father, and her grandchildren were without their grandfather. How senseless and infuriating, because it did not have to happen. Well, when the day arrived for the young woman who killed her husband to be sentenced, Valerie was there in the courtroom. As is customary, Valerie was given the opportunity to give a victim impact statement before sentencing. That was her time to tell this woman how many lives she ruined when she chose to drink and drive that day. That was her time to ask the judge to give this woman the maximum penalty under the law. That was her time to ask for justice for Lenny. But here's the thing. Valerie is a woman after God's own heart. Yes, her pain was real and intense, and it will never fully go away. But her commitment to the Lord is even stronger. Valerie used her time to tell that young woman that she forgave her. She shared about the love of the Lord. She used her time to plant a seed of hope in that young woman's life. Valerie allowed the Holy Spirit's leading to override any fleshly desire to punish that woman and instead showed her mercy despite her grief and loss. That is the supernatural mercy of which Jesus spoke in our text. Jesus goes on to say in verse 8, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. To be pure of heart, as the Bible teaches, one must have integrity, never willing to lie, cheat, or steal, always choosing to do what honors the Lord despite what others think or how they behave. It means choosing obedience. Proverbs 6, 16-19 There are six things the Lord hates, no seven things He detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that raise to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. 
Now, if I were to ask my students what the meaning of integrity is, most would be able to give a definition. They would say, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. And that's a pretty accurate definition. Someone who is pure of heart does the honorable thing even if no one is watching because they're aware that God is always watching. There's this silly saying that most of you have probably heard. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It implies that no matter how immoral you behave while in Vegas, it's okay because you're just letting loose and enjoying yourself in the city of sin, and you can get back to normal life when you get home. I mean, it's literally called the city of sin, ladies. It's a perspective that is completely in opposition of the Word of God. Nothing just stays in Vegas, friends, and nothing is hidden from the Lord either. No matter where we are, at home with our families, out with friends, alone in our room, whatever we do, say, meditate on, and see has consequences, whether good or bad, for ourselves and for others around us. Our holy God is always watching, and He promises that we will be blessed when we choose the way of holiness. In certain circumstances, it may be relatively easy to remain pure of heart, but there may be areas in your life where it's not so easy. There may be temptations in your life that you're struggling to resist. If that's the case, it would be best to seek the help of a pastor or your Bible study leader or a mature Christian who knows the Word of God and applies it to his or her life. There's no shame in asking for help. In fact, it's a sign of strength, and the Lord is always there to help you through it. Verse 9 goes on to say, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. I really like how the Amplified defines a peacemaker as one who makes and maintains peace. Hebrews 13.20, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and Romans 15.33 all refer to God as the God of peace. Peace is who He is. And if we, as His children, want to resemble Him, we too must become makers and maintainers of peace. Romans 12, 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Ephesians 4, 2-3, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. 2 Thessalonians 3, 16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. And finally, James 3.18. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Being a peacemaker often means being the voice of reason and calmness even when emotions are high. Other times, it means being the person who doesn't say anything at all, even when justified, because you know that in doing so, you'll add more fuel to the fire. It takes self-control. This isn't always easy. We're human. So to be a peacemaker, as the Bible describes, we need to employ the power of the Holy Spirit who is already living inside every believer. Now, perhaps flying off the handle isn't something you do. Praise God for that, because James 1.20 warns us, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. But for spiritual growth to not be halted or slowed down, we need to be willing to examine every area where we may be vulnerable to slip up, particularly when it comes to being a peacemaker or a troublemaker. And girls, we love to talk. So let's talk about the issue of gossip. 
Listen, ladies, if we're gossiping to others about anyone or anything, we are not pursuing peace. We're stirring the pot, and the Lord does not like it. Proverbs 16.28 A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. James 1.26 If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. One final thing about gossip, girls. Even if we're not the ones speaking and spreading gossip, when we choose to sit there and listen to it, we're part of the problem. The moment we recognize that gossip is about to happen is the moment we need to be strong enough and wise enough to end the conversation and walk away. Peace isn't pursued through gossip. Do you remember that children's song? Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little ears, what you hear. As believers in Christ, we are representatives of the Prince of Peace. So let's be mindful, ladies, to work for peace with our words and our actions. In verses 10 to 12 of our text in Matthew, we're told that we're also blessed if we are persecuted for doing right or when people lie and falsely accuse us of something for being followers of Jesus. To persecute, according to Webster's Dictionary, is to injure, afflict, or to harass with unjust punishment or penalties for supposed offenses. Jesus tells us that we will be blessed if we endure such treatment. Just keep in mind that suffering the consequences of our own actions is not persecution. God is holy and just, and when we sin, we should expect nothing less than God's justice. Just because someone doesn't like us or disagrees with us about something doesn't necessarily mean we're being persecuted either. Not all forms of suffering are persecution. So we must be careful not to throw the word around irresponsibly. Persecution involves suffering at the hands of someone else for doing the right thing according to God's word or for simply declaring Jesus as our Lord and Savior and living a life that reflects your declaration. There are believers in this world, particularly in other countries, who are being imprisoned, assaulted, put to death even, because they refuse to deny Jesus Christ or because they refuse to compromise their faith. In this country, we haven't gotten there yet, but I think we'd all agree that we're headed there unless we see an awakening of faith in the United States. But just because we aren't being imprisoned or put to death, it doesn't mean that we can't and don't experience persecution. Persecution can come in many forms. Some are more subtle and passive, while others are more blatant and aggressive. If you're choosing to obey the Lord no matter what, and you're being teased, bullied, mocked, insulted, excluded, lied about, hindered, falsely accused, or punished because of your choice, you may in fact be experiencing persecution, and the Bible says that you are blessed. Look, nobody likes to experience any kind of suffering. So when Jesus tells us that we are blessed or happy, this isn't about celebrating being mistreated. This is about celebrating the reason for the mistreatment. If we're being treated unfairly because of, as the Amplified Version puts it, our association with Jesus, that means that we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. The Lord promises us in Scripture that we will be persecuted if we are living to please Him. 2 Timothy 3.2 Indeed, all who delight in pursuing righteousness and are determined to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be hunted and persecuted because of their faith. 1 Peter 4.1 
Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh and died for us, arm yourselves like warriors with the same purpose, being willing to suffer for doing what is right and pleasing God. Because whoever has suffered in the flesh, being like-minded with Christ, is done with intentional sin, having stopped pleasing the world. Philippians 1.29 For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. And 1 Peter 2.21 For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in His steps. I mean, it's clear. If we are living for Jesus, we will suffer some form of persecution because of it. And according to Matthew 5, we are blessed. So what does the Bible say about how we respond to persecution? Verse 12 says to be glad or happy. In the original language, it implies more than just a feeling. It means to show one's joy by leaping and skipping, denoting excessive, ecstatic joy and delight. When was the last time you jumped for joy at the thought of persecution? It's something that one can only sincerely do if he or she has not only a clear understanding of what the Lord is saying here in Matthew, but is also willing to believe it wholeheartedly. That the thought of pleasing God, knowing that the result will be the glorification of God, is worth the risk of persecution. I think of Paul in Romans 8.18 who said, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. Or Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.8 who said, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for Him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Girls, persecution comes when believers live out their faith, unashamed and unmoved by anyone or anything. If our lives are truly reflective of Christ, we will become targets of the enemy. But before we can determine that, we must first spend time in prayer and in the Word of God and in humility ask Him to show us if we're living lives of compromise or commitment. It's important for us to know, especially as we consider what we're studying here. Because Matthew 13 says, You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Salt was used as a preservative. It kept meat from spoiling and being thrown out. It has a purifying factor. Salt has a purpose, and so do we. We are called the salt because until Jesus Christ comes back to earth— The Lord has not only tasked us to preserve the gospel message from generation to generation, but also the example of purified living that He teaches us in His Word. So everyone is given the chance to hear about and choose the hope of heaven. Ladies, may we appreciate the blessings from God through our commitment to God for the glory of God. Ephesians 3, 20-21 Now all glory to God, who is able, through His mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, girls.